We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking down another FFPC main event from the 105. That's what we're going to do today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. And, Sean, we're hitting a bunch of these drafts late in the year like we did last year. I know some of the listeners kind of get sick of us just doing draft show after draft show at this point, but we're getting on calls together and doing drafts and so we figure hey we're gonna we're gonna record them we're gonna talk through them we're gonna let the people who do want to hear them hear them normally we do it as two shows because the drafts are so long we decided on this one that we would jump in a little bit later after the draft has already sort of started and then do it as one show and kind of be able to wrap it up uh towards the later round show you guys how the build went we are jumping in here already through seven rounds, actually. We kind of had planned to, to jump in a little bit earlier, but we've gotten through seven. The draft is moving back the other direction. It's all the way at the end at the seven, eight turn. We're about eight picks away from being back up in the eighth. Sean, you mentioned we, a couple, over the last couple years, have done some fun shows where we've made bold predictions about each of our picks. So as we go through and recap what we've done so far and some of the things that have happened in this draft, while we continue to make our picks, I think we will do that on this one. This will be our bold prediction draft show where we talk about all of the ways that this team is going to absolutely crush. Every single pick is going to be monumentous. So that'll be a fun element of it. Sean, we picked at five. And in our typical fashion, we were both like cutting it really close where we jumped on, but we both knew who we kind of liked at five, five is a nice spot to be right now. Obviously, Cooper Cup has slid with the re-injury in the hamstring. So with tight end premium pushing Travis Kelsey into the top three of most drafts, five kind of becomes that cutoff. And so we're kind of taking what the room gives us. And you and I were totally on the same page with that. And the room gave us Christian McCaffrey, which is pretty fun because uh, you still have him ranked very, very high in FFPC. And I say still. Um, you think about the 2024 first round show that we did where you didn't have him in your top five. Um, I have him fallen quite a bit as well, and I have him ranked lower. But I, I've been uh, excited to see how high you have him in the FFPC format and to, to build – this is our second team together now with Christian McCaffrey, to build some teams with you that has that have him as an anchor. What is the big upside case for Christian McCaffrey this year? 
Well, we've gotten reporting that the 49ers are going to take him off the field more than they did last year. And they took him off plenty. And in some of those games, he was dealing with, I believe, a calf issue. And I mean, you would really hate to see him play less than last year where he was you know, far below 100% during that stretch with the 49ers. And yet the people making those uh, you know, reporting predictions are also saying, I mean, he's not locked in, but he's very well set to go 1,000 rushing, 1,000 receiving. If he does that, and I think this is the year, I mean, you think about Marshall Falk when he gets to the greatest show on turf, and suddenly now we dream about like this 25 touchdown season. There are lots of differences between the two offenses, obviously, and stylistically almost completely different. But in terms of how they can score, when you're looking at one of these epic touchdown seasons from McCaffrey, along with all those yards, all those receptions. So then we have 40 seconds here to make our pick in round eight. And then we'll wrap back into if Christian McCaffrey is going to score 30 points a game. <laughs> what are you looking at right here? We have gone running back heavy to start. We have Quentin Johnston and Traylon Burks. That's what I'm seeing is another receiver. But I see at the top of the queue, you do have a running back. I was thinking receiver in this spot. What are you thinking? I would really love to add Burks. In the last three days, he's gone like three picks earlier. I think that Johnston is a better bet to come back with all the negative reporting it. on him in the last 24 hours. Yeah, let's hit Burks then. If that is what your read is on that, I think that's uh, perfectly comfortable. But no, you got me really excited with that McCaffrey prediction. I think that's a great way of framing it where a little bit of concern about the overall workload. I, I've written him up as being a little – like I'm still very am still very comfortable taking him. We talked about him in season – after the trade, I remember I wrote an article in season last year about how he became the most important player in fantasy again because when you put him in a Kyle Shanahan offense who's so smart about the ways that he uses guys and you put him in an offense that's going to score points, there's a lot of really good ways that can go. And it, and there's a lot of people that were concerned about how his role would actually look in San Fran and it wouldn't be a bell cow or a huge, massive you know workhorse role. And it, it kind of wasn't in, in all the ways that you really wanted it to be and it still didn't matter. He still scored so well that you know, he's a top five pick again this year, and he's the RB1, which, I mean, kind of kind of validates that. And yet I've been a little bit concerned for the reasons that I was kind of calling out others in season for being too concerned. And mostly because, you know, he's been – the 30-point the ceiling for him has been – because he's been so, you know, such a revelation in terms of the high-value touches, how many receptions he can get, all of those things. I do think those take a little bit of a hit overall. But – his actual receptions could be like really efficient receptions. They, they play him at receiver. Like he could be catching, like getting like legit dot passes and, and catching 15, 20 yard passes and some of these things. And then the side of the high value touches that there's usually fewer of them, but are more impactful are the green zone touches, right? So his receptions could come down, but if the, as you say, this team is going to score points. And if the green zone work is still there and Christian McCaffrey is scoring a lot of their touchdowns for them, I mean, I absolutely see what you're seeing in, in terms of the, the 25 TD potential. It's not likely or anything, but it is a possibility in this scenario. So bold prediction, 25 TDs for Christian McCaffrey. People looking at what he did last year with the 49ers. You got to keep in mind, that's a midseason trade where he doesn't know the offense and he was less than 100%. We can probably guess that he's going to be a little bit less than 100% at different stretches within this year as well. But I mean, Ben, as you were talking about that, one of the things I'm thinking, you know, how did Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones score so many points at stretches the last couple of years where, I mean, those guys are so electric and the offense creates some space. They scored from distance, 
right? You add in three, four 20-yard touchdowns, which we've gotten from Eckler, we've gotten from Aaron Jones. Certainly you can get from a Christian McCaffrey, and then you're looking at big games in all of those weeks. Absolutely. So, Sean, we are on deck here. We'll, we'll continue talking through our build after we make this next pick. As you alluded to, we have been a little bit running back heavy so far. Quinn Johnson has made it back to us. Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas, Marquise Brown, Kadarius Towney, the four receivers that have gone. We are, we're one pick away. I guess I shouldn't jump the gun. But Rashad Bateman also there as a potential backup. Samaje Pirine goes there, one of your favorites. You do have Brian Robinson in the queue, and he's an interesting zero RB candidate. We do already have three running backs. We have four receivers. Which direction do you like here? Well, you put out a really intriguing piece, again, with such a great clicky title. You've been just nailing those in addition <laughs> to the analysis where you're like get comfortable with rookies being league winners i, I like quentin johnson i mean brian robinson i think is massively undervalued so i'd have no problem adding him to this team but quentin johnson even though there are some other guys so it's kind of a question of i mean do we definitely want marvin mims do we definitely want rasheed rice do we definitely want rashad bateman if we think we could get all those guys maybe we took robinson here but i'd really like to go whichever direction you're leaning Let's go. Let's go, Quentin Johnston. I, I I do really like him. I really like the Chargers' offense. I, I obviously really like the Commanders' offense too. We've talked a lot about Howell, but the Chargers, especially in terms of play volume and everything, I mean, it's nice to get some exposure to that offense. And and you just talked about reminded me of my own my own piece. Sometimes I don't always remember the stuff that I write. I write so many freaking words, but I do think Quentin Johnston's a really good example of a guy that we should just make an assumption on a build like this, that he's going to be a superstar. And if he's not like, you know, that's life. <laughs> but part of my whole point was we remember the misses when they're rookies a lot more vividly than the veterans and the ones that are hits. We also don't talk about a lot. This is a point that I try to drive home. Garrett Wilson isn't drawing a lot of discussion this year about whether or not he was a good pick in this range last year. Because we all agree he's a superstar and he's going in the second round. The guys that are drawing the discussion are like Sky Moore. And everyone wants to say, oh, are we going to do it again with Sky Moore? And so you have pro and con arguments for Sky Moore. And so there, it's and, and Kyle Pitts and the guys that missed. And so they become a discussion point the whole next offseason where the ones that hit, no one really argues about. Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddell, Amon Ross St. Brown. These guys are just going in the super high rounds. Everyone's happy with it. And so it doesn't get really driven home that those guys are going in the same range too. Sky Moore and Garrett Wilson, Sean, we were on both of them very heavily last year. The Sky Moore hit miss was obviously a bummer, but the Garrett Wilson hit was nice and it wasn't as impactful in 2022. Well, and one of the things you think about too is that like he was actually super unlucky that his quarterback play was that poor, or we might even be thinking about him in that same conversation with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Right. And, and that's a, that's a something I, I went into today as well as I was reviewing some of my bold predictions last from last year. I, I One of my bold predictions was a rookie would finish top 10. Rookie wide receiver would finish top 10 at the position. It didn't happen. But the years, two years prior, it had uh, with Je Jefferson and Chase. The year prior to that, A.J. Brown was a top 10 receiver from when he became a full-time player on, which was week nine he became a full-time player the the year prior to me writing this last year, so two years ago, Amon Ross St. Brown was a, was the second receiver overall in the final like six weeks. It's not hard for rookies to actually have that type of upside. We actually have a lot of examples of it. It didn't happen last year, the real, real ceiling. But to your point, in a lot of ways, Garrett Wilson kind of just got unlucky. Let's jump back into recapping our draft so far, though. Garrett Wilson goes 106. So we talked about McCaffrey at 105 being sort of the, the last of a tier. 
the guy at 106 goes, I'm going to take Garrett Wilson. And so I think, again, the, the fact that he's going that high is evidence that, you know, that there was a, a real hit there and drafters believe it could have been a bigger hit and it will be a bigger hit this year now that he does have a quarterback. Some more interesting trends. The draft at the turn goes A.J. Brown, Jalen Hurts at 112-201. Cooper Cup falls to 203. And then Diggs and Lamb go 204 and 205. So Amon Ross St. Brown was a first-round pick as well. We had five running backs in the first round. Saquon and Tony Pollard got up there. Mark Andrews went early second. So Cup falls out of the first, but so do Diggs and Lamb, and they actually go behind Cup. I thought that was very interesting. When we got back up on the clock, Sean, Devontae Adams had also gone Nick Chubb. And with a McCaffrey start, we're definitely thinking receiver. We just took Jalen Waddle in the second round of our last draft, but he was pretty clearly the pick here. I'll go ahead and do the bold prediction for him, which is just he continues to do basically everything he did last year, and Tyreek Hill isn't quite as healthy and quite as consolidating of the of the work as he was last year, which might shift even if Hill stays healthy because some of it could have been, hey, look, Tyreek Hill's our, our new big money, uh, you know, free agent acquisition. We're going to manufacture a lot of touches for him. Maybe this year those manufactured touches balance a little bit more, and Waddle continues to be incredibly efficient, which he's been both years. He continues to win at all depths, which he's done in both years. His rookie year, a lower dot. His second year, a higher dot. efficient in both roles. He continues to be a superstar in an offense that looks like it's going to be as consolidated on these two guys as ever. The running backs are all banged up. The, there's no real number three weapon. They cut Robbie Anderson or Robbie Chosen. It's going to be like a Cedric Wilson, Braxton Berrios combination for their number three receiver. Durham Smythe is their tight end, not Mike Gesicki anymore. Jalen Waddle consolidates everything. Tyreek Hill misses a little bit of time. He gets more manufactured touches. He's efficient. He's explosive. He goes for 1,600 yards, double-digit touchdowns, and validates you taking him as the 2024, what was it, 104, I think? 104. Pick. Yeah. 104. So not hard to make the upside case when you've already picked him as your 2024, 104. Sean, we are back on the clock in the 10th. We're not doing a great job of getting through our, our draft in the early rounds. What are you seeing? Oh. You got two on the on the queue. I just talked through Waddle. It is interesting that he has fallen to us again in the tenth. You have Mims, Rasheed Rice, some of those names you mentioned. Uh, Laporta in here is also pretty interesting to potentially get a second upside tight end. We do already have one tight end, and Devon Achain is another name you have in here, which I, I like as an upside play as well. Where would you prefer? I I I'm going to leave this one to you because I've been talking about Waddle. I think that the Tyreek Hill drafter. Also already has Burrow. I think we want to push that and force him to take a second QB. It's tricky because whoever we don't take here, we're also going to have multiple guys we like in round 11. I really like A-Chain, really like Laporta, really like Mims. I mean, we're not going to get all those guys. So if you have any lean at all, I think we should go that direction. Uh, let's go Laporta, I think. If that's... Uh, I didn't have a strong lean by any means, but it's two full rounds after Kincaid, Frymuth, and Njoku went the round prior. At 10.08, I think the price on the Porta is really strong. I'm not actually looking at it. I do still really like A-Chain. I like Mims. I like all those guys. But when we took Quentin Johnson, you did make a good point that if we're going Brian Robinson there, it's in part because we're hoping to get Mims and some of those guys later. So I'm okay pushing Mims because we went Quentin Johnston. We also had a decision that we'll get to where we passed on Jerry Judy because we've already taken Javante Williams. And so kind of didn't want to be invested in both the Broncos from the ground game and the air game. So I'm not that worried about not getting Mims on this roster, although I still think he can fit. 
it's not it's not a you know a, a clear answer there. It's just the Broncos are an offense where kind of like to play it one way or the other as opposed to both. So anyway, Laporta gets us some exposure to the Lions, which we did not have yet. Another fun offense. We're continuing to stack some some pieces from fun offenses. As we None of those guys go 11. around the turn. I, go yeah. I want to keep pushing quarterback. So uh, to me, I'm going to send it back to you on on A chain and and Mims if we have those options. Okay. We've we taken enough to uh I, I think let's keep let's let's make this a late round QB if we can, because there's a lot of good options here. So every team to the to the right of us has a QB except for one. And that team has really like four interesting late QB options they've opened up for themselves that would make more sense than Tua. So there's a decent chance that he would come back even in 12. So I, I think A chain, right? A chain or mints, but yeah, I think um yeah, let's do let's do eight. Yeah, for the reasons I was saying with with Denver's passing offense, it's interesting because now we take Waddle and A chain. But the Miami offense can be a lot more consolidated. I think part of the concern in Denver is that throughout Sean Payton's history, he's often used multiple skill players at a lot of different spots. There's also concern about that whole offense cratering. There's some concern about Miami's cratering, but Miami's looks like it's going to be very concentrated. And if the A chain thesis hits in the the anti fragile way that it sets up, I think you have him and Waddle coexisting easily in a way that it's a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit harder to see in Denver. And it is, you know, minor edges that, that make these decisions. We like all these players. Sean, we took Waddle in the second. As it got back around to us, we debated Jameer Gibbs in the third. But having started with Christian McCaffrey as opposed to potentially starting with maybe a Tyree Kill, we had one running back and one wide receiver through two, and T. Higgins making it back to us after Ridley and Keenan Allen had both already gone was interesting at 305. We ultimately went to T. Higgins. Give the people the, the T. Higgins bold prediction. Well, I'm going to say that T. Higgins stays healthy in 2023. You look at his game log from last year, 69% of the snaps. And that's going to obviously translate into a, a much lower share of the routes as well than you really want. He had three different games last season where he played either 26% or less. Obviously, week one was 26%. Week five was 16%. Week 14 was 1%, which I believe was the first play of the game. So when we think through that and what he brings when he's healthy, he's this perfect complement to jamar chase where these guys give you different things and that chase is the vertical threat he's the guy with the just crazy yards after the catch potential i mean jamar chase is basically the everything receiver but t higgins is the guy who is just so physically dominant has the size and then not necessarily speed but the overall athleticism to go with that that he just bodies these guys he's shedding the dbs they you know almost make no difference to him when joe burrow throws the ball up when you're talking about a season where maybe and obviously last year chase did miss some games we've got history of him not playing a full complement if we were to have that where t higgins stayed healthy i mean you're talking about t higgins being a similar type of talent to the plays that people are making on garrett wilson who you mentioned at the 106 certainly you know amon Ra, you know stefan diggs cd lamb and the reason that higgins is below those guys is that he's got jamar chase there as well and because he had these three games last year that impact so much of like the optics of what he is 
before that stuff happened, he went on a long stretch where he was actually very equivalent to Jamar Chase. And so, I mean, I still obviously think Jamar Chase is better and prefer that as the pick. And yet, when you talk about 102 versus 305, that vastly overstates the gap between those two players. Definitely. I, I think that's all really well said. We're a couple of picks away here, Sean. Tua does make it all the way back so far to 1206. Marvin Mims did go. Oh, then right as I say that, Tua goes at 1206. So he won't make it all the way to our pick at 1208. We are back on the clock. We have some interesting receivers that we could go with here. I'm trying to get a little bit caught up. So who's the best quarterback? I guess it's Geno, who I like. But I'm very comfortable continuing to push quarterback until we get to Sam Howell if we have to. <laughs> yeah, so here in 12, it would be kind of that Jamison Williams stash again. Uh, do you like that play, or do you prefer Rasheed Rice, or do you like Geno? We can do that if you want. Yeah, he's tops on my list at this point, even though, again, I mentioned this on the last show, I have him listed as a fade. We take him a wide receiver 58 again, right, where we talked about taking him last time. So uh, you mentioned the T. Higgins upside case. We started McCaffrey, Waddle, Higgins. It's kind of funny. It's the exact same start we started with our ship-chasing buddies. and It wasn't really intentional, but when you – are at 105 and McCaffrey's the last of a tier there. And then you're at 208 and Waddle's sort of the last of a tier there. And then you're at 305. And structurally, it makes a lot of sense to go wide receiver. That's why we consider Gibbs, but structurally, it makes a lot of sense to go wide receiver. And Higgins is the last of a tier there. You're going to kind of wind up with the exact same build. But since then, we've actually in, sort of intentionally gone differently than our build at uh, the, with the Chasing Stolen Bananas team. So that it wouldn't be too, too similar. And the fourth, as it came all the way back with that team, we had gone Travis Etienne. We were looking it up in real time. Travis Etienne did go off the board in this one, but that left us the ability to grab Brees Hall. And so the the upside case for Brees Hall, I think, is pretty simple. Uh, he's actually healthy. Uh, again, it's very similar to what you said with T. Higgins, but we have made the case. I, I know I've made the case of Brees Hall. If he stays healthy, is the RB1 right now. He's going in the top five picks if he doesn't tear his ACL last season. So I'm basically just saying all he needs to hit his ceiling in 2023 at this fourth round price is he doesn't get injured again. He's healthy. He's back from that knee injury in a big way. There's no JK Dobbins lingering stuff. None of that. All those concerns are out the window. This idea that, Oh, Adrian Peterson's the only example we have of a running back coming off an ACL and playing very high is immediately smashed because we have a very small sample of the ones that have come off the ACL and not performed particularly well too. It's not a huge sample. It's just a you know, few dozen players sort of that are this talented, this young, this great, not even a few dozen probably. Brees Hall in that Adrian Peterson conversation in terms of the type of athlete, the type of youth that he is, all of those things. So he's able to rebound in quick order and be a superstar again in 2023 Maybe not right away from week one, but especially from week six on, he's the overall RB1. He is the absolute most important pick in the fourth round. That's the bold prediction for Brees Hall. As we came around that turn, Sean, we were talking about potentially going Kenneth Walker and taking our third running back. He goes one pick ahead of us, and we had a tough decision on the clock in the fifth round. We were looking at Brandon Ayuk. We were looking at the other running backs after Walker, J.K. Dobbins, James Cook, one of the reasons we didn't necessarily want to take Dobbins is he is on that chasing stolen bananas team I just referenced. So we would have had four high-profile players matched to another team we've already constructed. 
there's a guy that was there that we've taken on a lot of high profile teams in the last couple of years. And we did decide to go Kyle Pitts in the fifth round. We're almost on the clock again here in the 13th. So before I ask you to give us the big, bold prediction on Kyle Pitts, as you're tracking this draft still here in the 13th, Rasheed Rice still there, continues to slide over those concerns that he's going to be a little bit of a package player early in the year. I'm with you that I still think from a talent perspective, he can earn his way into a full role. I don't think it's a guarantee the Chiefs are going to be rotational all year he would be our wide receiver seven on this build but one of those six that we have is Jamison Williams who we are just sort of stashing Geno Smith is this sort of the only other real pick here for me that feels like I would you know in any way make a case we've already hit tight end twice and feel pretty good about that we do have only four receivers or excuse me running back so I guess you could make a case that we could try to hit another guy from the zero RB list, but I think there's better options even later. I guess my running back would be Damian Harris here. We're into the 13th round. I know he doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence. Where are you at this stage? I still really like stashing Kendra Miller. That most recent injury is just such a heartbreaker. And yet in redraft where you don't have to start him immediately it doesn't worry me as much i do think we probably want to consider either gino or jared goff right here this is half a round below gino's adp goff by adp doesn't come back i mean he may be the guy we again get that first game flexibility and we've got some lions built in we have jsn built in for gino i probably take a qb do you have a preference between the two i do like gino more uh, I, I like that first game thing on golf. If you want to go that way, sorry, we were really low there. You asked my preference with like eight seconds left on the clock. You did squeeze Gino up to the top of the queue. It seemed like you were leaning golf. I went the other way. I've been pretty into Gino as a priority target in these in these uh, rounds, in part because of some great research JJ Zachariasen did and reference on a podcast I did with him earlier this year. It's interesting. We were both guests over at CBS, but. He talked through some research where quarterbacks who have three receivers with ADPs as high as Geno does tend to be really, really strong bets, you know, in the later rounds. And we we know that a lot of times when there's this disparity between the weapons and the quarterback, the quarterback can be a good target. It was an, an argument for Tua Tagovailoa last year. Geno in particular, though, very efficient the last two years, led the NFL in completion percentage last year at 69.8%. Had a Double check that little note, <laughs> but he did lead the NFL in completion percentage. He was very efficient from a yardage perspective, from a touchdown perspective. His TD rate last year was very good. It was also really good on a you know smaller dropback sample in 2021, but he did play some in 2021. He threw almost 100 passes, and his numbers that year were very strong as well. I'm not ready to consider him a superstar necessarily, but when you add Jackson Smith and Jigba, and, and I do actually believe – that he's incredibly good, and then Lockett and Metcalf are also really, really good. Look, I mean, you can make similar cases for Goff having, you know, Amon Ra and having Gibbs really, really high, and then also still having, you know, Laporta as a strong option, although not, you know, being drafted nearly as high as JSN, and, and still having other weapons, Jamison Williams. We do have two of them on our roster now, but Gino, I think, adds a little bit of mobility too, more so than Goff. Not, not a lot of mobility or anything, but he ran for 366 yards last year. Goff, 
hasn't run for 366 in his career, I wouldn't imagine. So you have, he has 474 in his career. So he does have that slightly. You have a little bit of a boost there. I, I think Gino is a meaningfully better bet than Jared Goff. Full season. I, I do like your point about the Thursday night thing, but that's why I pushed Gino there. Well, and Gino get, does give us a little bit of variety. I think both of those guys are big time blow up picks to where the gap between them and a Justin Herbert, for example, I think not that great. And so when you look at one of them going at 405 and the other guys going in around 13, 14, that's one of the reasons why we keep playing the late quarterback, especially because when you go late quarterback, you can take multiple guys, you can create some options. Unfortunately here that we weren't the only team thinking that the team that selected Jordan Addison and had taken Kirk Cousins was the team that took Amon Ra in round one. And they do come back and take Goff in round 14. After taking Rasheed Rice in 13 and, and taking that off the board, Damian Harris also goes. Sean Tucker, the guy you have said needs to be drafted in every dra- on every team, goes at 1401. So we're not going to be able to draft him on this team. But Sean, Kendrick Miller still floating. That's the guy you were interested in last week, uh, last round as a stash. I was kind of hoping maybe we could push him around. I, he, I think he's really intriguing at this point. Yeah, just somebody to keep it on our radar because I did think that we needed to take a QB and then hopefully Rice would come back. And then so you're hoping that you know somehow Kendry would fall to 15 even. Um, but once we get here, I like him a lot. Because again, I mean, this isn't for week one. <laughs> These picks that you're making in this range, this is for how do you smash the bye weeks? How do you create the upside to win the overall tournament? Blair Andrews has some great research about backs who are as young as Kendra Miller, drafted in that kind of range, what they do in the fantasy playoffs. In this case, if he did something big, maybe what he did would be to win us $1 million. Hunter Henry is here. Sam Howell is here. Jalen Hyatt is here. But I guess I am leading Kendra. It's, are you it's Kendra for me. Okay. No, it, he was he was right there with Damon Harris last round. I almost mentioned him when I mentioned Harris, and then you mentioned him right after me. But I was right there with you as you were talking through him last round. For him to come all the way back to 1408, I think he's a no-brainer at this pick was very much in lockstep with you on that. So glad we got him there. That's a, I think that was a really key pick for our build. Frankly, we did start somewhat running back heavy three running backs through six rounds, but we did go away from running back for four rounds at that point, come back and hit Devin, a chain Devon, a chain, <laughs> but we got Kendra Miller as well. He's at now our fifth running back. And, and, a, and an important one because we are getting to that range where we kind of joke there's not really any viable ones left. But Sean Tucker was one of those. He's already gone. Chuba Hubbard is one that you've written about, Sean, being kind of the only interesting one in this range sometimes. He went in the 13th. So, yeah, Kendrick Miller, big pick there for our build. The only other thing that I can really see, Zach Moss has already gone a long time ago, but he might miss week one from the latest I'm hearing. So you could go with a Colts running back, but like you said, we're not really actually worried about week one. So feeling pretty good actually about that pick. Rasheed Rice does go. We don't get to make uh, the seventh receiver pick there. Jonathan Mingo has gone a guy we've mentioned before. We're kind of 
running out of viable wide receivers, but Wandell Robinson is still there. Have you thrown him in the queue yet? You have not. You have a lot. Oh, you have Jalen Hyatt in the queue. I mean, he is barely going in these drafts, which seems kind of crazy to me. Uh, He's certainly someone we want to stash. And there's really no time that's like too early because, you know, then somebody else takes him and you're like, well, (laughs) it didn't make sense to wait on a guy that we had ranked that high. This is the spot you would take Hunter Henry if you felt like he actually separated from the pack. Since we do have a couple of interesting names already, we could kind of wait out a Michael Mayer. I think Henry's a little bit of a roster clogger when you go Pitts and Laporta. I just like okay. the two upside cases. And as much as I like Henry, I like him more as a stability play when you only have the one upside case, but we've already had two strong upside plays here. I really like the Laporta upside case as well. So, I, yeah, I mean, hit a third one late and, and you're just playing pure upside at tight end. I don't like – and I think you're saying that because you know I'm a little higher on Henry than you, so I'm, I'm kind of – poo-poo in that pretty firmly because I, I wouldn't even be the one to tell us to, to take Henry is the point. I, maybe it's Sam Howell here and then we try to push Wandale. Does that does that feel right? Yeah, that's definitely an option. Do you I mean, we've talked about going with a lot of QBs. I don't we don't have to do that with Gino, but when we're staring at Aaron Rodgers and Kenny Pickett here, we don't have oh, yeah. players with them, but we don't have players really with anybody except for Desmond Ritter left. And so we're going to probably take at least one QB that doesn't have a receiver attached. Yeah, I'm fine with those guys. I'm fine with Aaron Rodgers or Pickett or anybody here. But yeah, Aaron Rodgers in the 15th round. I I missed that. Anybody that you'd like. But yeah, so we do take Rodgers. I think that's the interesting thing about Rodgers. I think his real upside cases are through a massive Garrett Wilson year. So yes, there will be people that have Rodgers and Wilson attached, but it's not like there's, I, you know, I don't think you need to have him stacked with all these other guys, right? And then Garrett Wilson's ADP is so high that like he can hit and you can still build a good team that beats the Garrett Wilson team while Aaron Rodgers is hitting. If that makes sense. Um, certainly the people that have him stacked when you get to the actual shootout are getting points from both directions. But I mean, if Rodgers has a good year, it's not a bad thing to have a good quarterback, even on stack. Well, and as we try and win the regular season, being able to play some matchups and get elite QB points without elite QB investment, again, pretty meaningful. The, actual Garrett Wilson drafter took Josh Allen in round three and that could very easily pay off but it is one of the reasons why Aaron Rodgers fell to us because that drafter didn't feel pressure to take him you know does Josh Allen outscore Aaron Rodgers I mean probably and does he outscore some kind of a matchup based play where we have Geno and Rodgers and then maybe either Ritter or Howell or Pickett you know probably he outscores that as well but once you start to look at playing a couple or three guys with the best matchup each week, especially if those guys are also hitting. I mean, you can close down that gap to almost nothing. One of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending live events. The atmosphere, the sound, all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person. It is just an amazing time. One of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress in trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats. And that is where game time comes in. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, and 
theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have. Game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account and use the code RotoViz for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code RotoViz for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And Sean, I just realized, I mean, we're sitting here talking about this, but the the, the, the next best guy to stack Rodgers with, for me, would be Brees Hall, because we've talked about how he could actually be a really big part of their passing game. And we have Brees Hall on this roster. So it actually is interesting in that regard, where if Brees Hall does some of the Aaron Jones stuff and catches six or eight touchdowns this year, and especially you look way ahead of the shootout, everything goes great for the Jets. Brees Hall really smashes. You can play Rodgers and Hall as kind of a stack in the shootout. And, you know, especially as you talked about playing matchups, you could play Gino with JSN one week and play Rodgers with Brees Hall the next week and hope that Brees Hall catches a couple touchdowns. You can really get unique in terms of the way that you're getting your quarterback points and your stacks and those things. And the reason I said in this format, you don't really need to worry about being stacked as much as it is a smaller format. And when you get to the shootout, yes, there's like, there's several hundred teams, but you're not in several thousand teams or anything like that. 
there will be teams that have both Rodgers and Garrett Wilson in a scenario where this all goes really well for the Jets. But there, there's not every combination of every team that's available is the point. It is sort of a smaller field than some of the really large best ball contests where you, you know, you have to think through how there's going to kind of always be a team that has you covered on some of the stacks and some of those things. Sean, we haven't really g- continued on the, uh, this has been a fast draft. We are in round 16. We've been drafting for an hour and seven minutes. Uh, we just did a team the other night where I had a, an engagement after an hour and a half and I had to leave before we were able to finish it. We're going to finish this draft in under an hour and a half, I think, pretty pretty easily. So trying to draft this team while also doing the bold predictions of the earlier rounds has been a little bit tricky. But just to recap for everyone listening what the team actually is, because we haven't really gotten through it. It started Christian McCaffrey, Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins. And then and so after the McCaffrey pick, we went with the two anchor receivers, the receiver-receiver build. We just did it a little different with McCaffrey at the top. And then we went away from it in the dead zone to Brees Hall, Kyle Pitts, Javante Williams. And then we went back to it with Jackson Smith and Jigba, Traylon Burks, and Quentin Johnston. So very similar to the types of builds that, Sean, you and I have talked about on Stealing Signals and have talked about all offseason. Uh, or not all offseason, but all August, certainly. Um, about really liking some of the early receivers going away from receiver in the dead zone and coming back to it. And then from there, we went Sam Laporta, Devin A. Chain, Jamison Williams, Geno Smith, Kendra Miller, Aaron Rodgers, we are on deck in 16. Again, this draft is absolutely flying. Wandell Robinson, top of our queue, still there. Sam Howell makes it all the way back. He's gotten really popular. I thought he might go behind us. There are three drafters only have one quarterback. If you wanted to take a third QB and continue to push Wandale, I could go there with you. Or we can just take Wandale. What do you think? Yeah, do you have a preference for number one? Like in the most extreme case, would you be okay with going four quarterbacks? And then number two, we have Pitts. Do you still have a strong preference for Howell over Ritter, who probably is available later? I mean, I, I love both Wandale and Sam Howell as the pick here. I don't. I think with Pitts, really have a strong preference for Howell. I, I I really do like Howell, but I think when you take Pitts, you're you're betting on Ritter in a kind of a big way. So I think that's a, a really intriguing point. But I would also be comfortable going for QB. We we all are going to snatch Wandale here, and and I think that makes sense. I think you were laying out some really good points there. We have a lot of Howell. I want to get Howell on every team, but when we have Geno and Rogers already, we don't really need to push the the the, the several QB build. And if we can still do it through Ritter. It wouldn't be the end of the world if Howell did go to one of these drafters behind us. So we take Wandale. That's the one that we would have been more upset losing. And, and that gives us, I read through the team pretty quick there, but Geno and Rogers at QB. The running backs are McCaffrey, Brees Hall, and Javante with, with A-Chain and Kendra Miller as our four and five. It's kind of thin depth-wise, but we get these two really intriguing rookies. Receiver, Jalen Waddell, T. Higgins, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Traylon Burks, Quentin Johnston, Jamison Williams, now Wandale Robinson. Also, uh, you know, a little bit thin because we start with McCaffrey at the top. Waddle Higgins isn't necessarily the type of elite, elite start when you go wide receiver, wide receiver, and then go away from it. And and then to go JSN, Burks, Quentin Johnston, a lot of upside profiles. Jamison Williams are going to be stashing him. You could certainly see where this wide receiver room could have problems if a lot of the bets that we're making, Sean, aren't right. Um, but we're hoping that they are. So if they are, then we're going to be in good shape. Wandale, I think a really nice addition to that as another guy that we think could really, once he gets up to speed, and it sounds like he might even play week one, obviously didn't hit uh, PUP and has been activated. 
Wandell, a guy that could really add some juice to that in the middle part of the season. Brock Purdy goes, but no other QB has gone up until us being back on deck. My question to you, after having made made a good point on Pitts and the Howell and Ritter intersection, is would you just take Ritter over Howell, or would you prefer to try to play it as Howell first, maybe also get Ritter, do the four QB thing? Yeah, I mean, Ritter is just not even being drafted. And so, I mean, I'm I'm pretty tempted <laughs> to go Sam Howell and then also take Ritter. You're going to end up – I mean, one of the things there is that you can talk about roster clogging, but then you can watch the games. You can release the guy that you feel comfortable getting rid of to make your big free agent acquisition after week one. And if we come back in round 18 and want somebody else, we can definitely do that. A couple names that I have in the queue that aren't like super <laughs> high priority types of players, which again, give me this kind of a sense are Chase Brown, Pierre Strong, Zach Evans. I mean, I think all three of those guys could end up being decent, you know, yeah. waiver wire acquisitions, maybe even after like week two. So it's not like they have zero value, but I think the flexibility of seeing the QBs right now might be more important. Let's do that. Let's uh, let's go QB. We take Howell. We've talked about the four QB thing. I don't think we've done it yet, but I'm I'm like really sold on it here. Even though we have Geno and Rogers, because I like the way you too, put is it. That, like, you know, if we come out and the Jets actually are explosive and they run a little bit faster pace than Rogers was willing to down the stretch with the Packers, then you can release your late guys too. So it's not just a matter of saying, you know, like evaluating Howell or Ritter, but we also get to evaluate how that offense is going to look with Aaron Rodgers. And a really key point in all of this is something you've driven home that a lot of these picks late, the people don't really think through this way but they're 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 not going to stick they're not going to be you know viable plays right and we're not we're not planning to have four quarterbacks all season but we're also acknowledging that we're probably not going to roster these guys all year either right and so there is an element here where uh, any any anybody we might pick in these rounds are probably not going to roster all year and that doesn't mean you just give up your picks but there's an element here where we are thinking we're gaining something with our late round quarterback build where we're getting a chance to look at all of these guys and have them rostered and not have to go pay $300 to add Desmond Ritter after week one if Atlanta looks super fun in week one. And then we know that, look, we're going to want to make some cuts after week one as well. And so this is probably where the cuts are going to come from. And then additionally, as you just said, Chase Brown, Pierre Strong, Zach Evans, all interesting plays. Guys I'd love to add and, and stash, but their stashes, they're probably not going to get drafted in every league. And some of the leagues where they get drafted, they're going to get cut really quickly. And so it's it's – we can move to those picks, not on draft day, but later, very easily. It will it will be no issue really for us. So that is an appealing way to look at, you know, Pierre Strong isn't going in any of these at this point after he got traded to the Browns. I'm right there with you where he's really intriguing now. But I think a lot of people are still in on Jerome Ford being the clear number two. And I think he probably is going to be early in the season in a way that Pierre Strong, like you said, might be a week two, week three, look ahead type pickup, but a guy that we think can have a real impact in week six or week 10 or look like, you know, a, a you know, a, a strong handcuff later in the season. So there's a deliberate idea here. It's not just, Oh, we want to take a bunch of quarterbacks and we're, you know, we're being ridiculous. It's, it's, it's adding something to our build. And then the other guys that we like at this range 
Michael Mayer is gone. Hunter Henry did go. There's a lot. I mean, we, we can't add a third tight end. We have both Pitts and Laporta anyway. We can add a third tight end, but it's not anyone that would be really adding a lot to the build at this point. And that's what happens the last week of drafting. Like the sleepers, the guys that you like, the guys that you, you like to take, they're they're no longer available in, in rounds 18, 19, 20. I think the Kate Otten has gone. I think the best tight end available on my board might be Durham Smythe. I mean, that's where we're at. So there's not a lot of opportunity cost here. And a lot of the opportunity cost is players that will be able to add off the waiver wire after week one and, and affordably. Sean, you just grimaced a little bit. Harrison Butker comes off the board on the 18th. Was that a, did you feel a little bit of a snipe there not getting to take a peek on Harrison Butker in week one? I did kind of want to just uh, throw Harrison in there and, and let it go. He he's got a big leg, but man, he struggled with his accuracy last season. That's obviously not a huge component of drafting the kickers. <laughs> Just talking a little bit about Harrison Bucker himself. So we get back here. One of the things that I do like to do as we kind of reference this kicker discussion is maybe take a kicker in round 18 so you don't get down to the dregs. Uh, Tyler Bass is the main guy, and he has a, a week 13 buy. So that's also kind of a an easy one from that perspective i guess yeah yeah we're gonna go ahead and do that two of the guys behind us didn't take their backup qbs last turn decent chance ritter goes off but as you said a lot of times ritter just doesn't go and and russell wilson is still there Derek carr is still there matthew stafford is still there we can just kind of push the desmond ritter idea uh some of these guys might only take one qb in this draft and so Taking Tyler Bass there when when we're kind of doing a luxury thing with the four QB build and it's not the end of the world if they if uh, Ritter goes, I like it does make sense. So one of the things that I did want to note here about the wide receivers is that we've been very very aggressive and very very risk taking in the receiver picks, and one of the things we always note is that you can do that if it's not going to affect your starting lineup. We do want to, I mean, we can't really change it now. We want to be aware that in this league, it potentially could because JSN, Burks, I mean, they're back to practicing, but they could be on very limited snaps in week one, or they could just be held out to get ready for week two, week three. Quentin Johnson, obviously reporting about his week one role has been disconcerting. Jamison Williams, a pure stash. Wondell Robinson, probably more like a week three type of play. And we have three running backs that we're probably going to start in week one. And so there is a flex spot. And it's one of these things, as I look at this team, Ben, where I'm really hoping that Sam Laporta hits in week one. We get that you know, sort of free look at him. If he were to score 20 points and we could move him into the lineup, that would be the absolute perfect outcome for this particular team. Now, it does kind of remove the, the option of just like benching Kyle Pitts for week one. <laughs> so you know, we're kind of working through that as well. Even with that being the case, I think that when you take those three early running backs, you have to figure out how you can create a wide receiver depth chart that has enough firepower to win the whole thing. And I think that what we did is that. And so when you're taking some running back picks, don't just go on autopilot. Don't just feel like, okay, well, I'm changing my strategy for the season and I'm flipping to running back because that's where the value is. Also make sure you're building in a way at receiver that balances out those early running back selections. Love that. Very well put. Pierre Strong does go this 18-19 turn. So maybe I'm wrong. That maybe he has been going. I'm not entirely sure. <clears throat> but I, I don't feel like I've seen his name a ton. But regardless, there are 
going to be similar plays that are available on the waiver wire, which was sort of the, the overarching point. Do you want to go defense first and try to push Ritter to the 20th? Or do you want to just, because I mean, we could prioritize the Kansas City defense and get a take a peek there as well. There is a little bit of a benefit. You also have the Bills in the queue. Who do they play week one? The Bills and the Jets play each other. So it's not really a good mix for those guys. I'm always kind of leaning to Jacksonville, who has the Colts in week one. And they do often kind of go in this range because of that week one matchup. So I don't know that we can count on them coming back around. Let's see how all these teams to the right of us are looking at QB. So the Josh Allen team only has him, and you could easily see them sticking with just him. The Lamar Jackson team only has Lamar Jackson. The Jalen Hurts team only has Jalen Hurts. Jaguars get the Chiefs right away in week two. So they're at the Colts in week one. I do like that. All right. We, we can do Jags. Do you... So Ritter, again, is just kind of buried here. Um... Yeah. No QBs have gone. <laughs> I mean, Russell Wilson's still there. Derek Carr's still there. Matthew Stafford's still there. So even if these QBs, you know... I think Ritter's going to be there in the 20th. This is a room that is very comfortable going one QB. So let's take our favorite D. I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is... Do, are you are you really confident in Jacksonville, or do you want to go? You want KC instead. KC is the take a peek. Okay, would, would be. I, I so we do go KC. I, I I don't really love that I pushed you that direction, but because I think Jacksonville's a really good play week one. I, I think you make a good point, but it is kind of nice to get the two cracks at it. Where if they're not great, part of the reason I said that as well, Sean. You said Jacksonville goes in this range a lot, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight D's had already been taken. And so now New England goes two picks later. There's potentially only two more defensive picks. Jacksonville might not go. And so I'm wondering if we can get a take a peek on Casey's D and still have Jacksonville to play on Sunday if Kansas City doesn't have a good game on Thursday. Yeah, it would be great if that worked out like that. In a lot of these main events, you do see multiple teams take two defenses, which... I Could think happen. is yeah. hard to recommend, <laughs> but, but does happen. And, you know, we say that, and obviously there are going to be listeners that are like, we don't recommend taking four QBs either. So <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo jets and Buffalo go. So now every team has one D Jacksonville would have to be some team's second defensive choice, or else they are an option for us to potentially pick up before week one. If we don't like Kansas city score, that was something I was kind of thinking through and hoping, but you're right. We do see the double the double tap at, at defense too much. <clears throat> Sean, as we wrap it up, we're not going to be able to do a ton of postscript here because of some, some schedule stuff. But we have Geno Smith, Aaron Rodgers, and Sam Hallett QB likely adding Desmond Ritter to that for a four QB build. Christian McCaffrey, Brees Hall, Javante Williams, Devon, Devon A-Chain, and Kendra Miller. Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins, Jackson Smith and Jig, but Traylon Burks, Quentin Johnson, Jamison Williams, and Wandell Robinson are the receivers. Our Kyle Pitts and Sam Laporta dual upside tight end play. It just seems too fun to need a third tight end, but we will certainly be watching. Here's Javante Williams. <laughs> My watch just heard me say Javante Williams and, and mentioned <laughs> Javante Williams back to me. Sean, we do see a team go double double defense, but they go with Seattle there. So we are still dodging the, the Jacksonville bullet. Uh, what do you think about the, the roster? What do you think about 
how things shook out. What are your favorite uh, parts of it and, and things you might be concerned about? I love it. I love it. I'm going to, if you have an extra 10 minutes here, I'm going to ask us to do rapid fire, bold predictions. Let's do it. these guys. Uh, as soon as we decide to make our personal Mr. Irrelevant, either Desmond or the Jacksonville defense. Yeah, I mean, we can double tap defense as after you said all of that and then potentially just add Ritter before week one. That's probably oh, the way to do it. That is the way to do it. Yeah. So I don't know what idiots double tap defense, but we're one of them. <laughs> we're back in. We're back in. All right, so I am up for Kyle Pitts, I believe. You made the case for Reese Hall. Then we have a 1,000-yard season for Kyle Pitts as a rookie. We have a 30% targets per route last season we're going to combine those in a real offense this year and Kyle Pitts is going to go for 1515 you were up with Javante Williams again Javante Williams is going to be healthy I mean that's going to be a theme for a lot of our players but he was a guy that before the knee injury looked headed for and I mean was it was it was a around two pick last year and rising even with Melvin Gordon there obviously Samaja Piran's there now as well but a lot of people last offseason were talking about Melvin Gordon being, you know, sneaky good in 2021. Javante displaced him. Melvin Gordon ends up getting cut, but obviously has the massive knee injury. It's a multi-ligament injury. We do have concerns about that. We're not just not worried about that. But if he's healthy, he's now the new Alvin Kamara in the Sean Payton offense. And that's that's a good thing. I mean, he could be Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram together. He is that good yeah i mean pierre thomas is where i was thinking in my head i do you remember pierre thomas in the darren sproles years pierre thomas was a lot of fun but like pierre thomas plus well i wrote up this piece about how some of these offenses could work specifically Brees hall and javante williams how those offenses have created such a massive running back pie and one of the things about the saints is that it wasn't just that kind of peak time period that everybody thinks about 2017 2018 those first couple years with Kamara and Mark Ingram still there prior to that and some of the names that you're mentioning the Saints EP to the running backs was off the charts off the charts so it's exciting I mean Drew Brees is part of that Russell Wilson a different QB things are not going to be exactly the same but we like Javante Williams there JSN I wrote 4,000 words on why you should feel comfortable reaching for him in your draft he then does get hurt with the broken wrist. I think that knocks him down for the first five weeks, but he is going to be the highest scoring Seahawks receiver over the second half of the year. And by the time the season ends, people are going to be thinking about him, not in the same breath, but as the next guy after Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Beat that with okay. Jalen Burks. <laughs> I don't think I can. Jalen Burks is, you know, look, the... The Titans actually throw a lot more with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. They have a little bit of uh, you know less depth at tight end in some of those things this year where it kind of looks like they might be willing to throw a little bit more as Derrick Henry gets older. You've mentioned in your Tajay Spears bowl cases that they're you know maybe transitioning to a new version of their offense into the future. If we get a little bit more pass intent with this team, Traylon Burks is – the superstar breakout play alongside a superstar in DeAndre Hopkins that will help draw a little bit of attention from him. But last year when he had no one alongside of him and when he was out, they couldn't throw down the field. And then when he, when he was in, he was getting double covered. He still earned volume in a big way. I think he 
outscores DeAndre Hopkins and is the clear number one in, a, in an ascending year two. So Quentin Johnson in round nine is a player who posted three consecutive good seasons in terms of yards per route in college. He was also one of the best wide receivers in college football with the ball in his hands. And you put that in a body of a guy who is also a potential vertical receiver down the field. He gets a lot of criticism for dropping passes, which I think allows people to forget that he also makes highlight catches and that when you have his length and also his leaping ability, that 40 inch vertical, you can go up and get the ball. You can bail your QB out. Then when you are drafted in the first round, you have an elite QB and you are both a manufactured and a down the field guy. You have so many different ways you can come through from a fantasy perspective. He's going to end up being the wide receiver too on this offense behind Keenan Allen. And it's going to be closer even there than people think. So I'm up with Sam Laporta. I'm going to say he runs an 80% route rate in week one. And if you get that right away from this guy who was incredibly productive, athletic, coming out of college, he's the next great Iowa tight end. I've talked about with Amon Ross St. Brown, the other receivers on this team are all vertical threats. There's a lot of room to, to rack up targets underneath as defenses sit back in their cover two shells. It's going to be great for Amon Ross. It's going to be great for Jameer Gibbs. It's going to be great for Sam Laporta as well. I think he runs routes from week one on. Last year, only four tight ends had 100 targets. I think Sam Laporta's bold prediction is he has a 100-target season. He's efficient. He finishes the top five tight end as a rookie. Well, Devin A-Chain here is now an interesting one, a tricky one, because the Dolphins arguably reach for him in the draft. They use draft assets they didn't necessarily have. And then they spent like every minute since that pick trying to add a superstar running back from other teams, but they failed. He got banged up a little bit in the preseason, but he runs a 4-3-2-40, which makes him the second coming of Chris Johnson. Not quite as fast, not quite as electric when you actually watch him play. And yet he also was someone who caught a lot of passes last year. That's going to translate into the NFL. We had Raheem Mostert with eight catches in week 17 last year. One of the reasons he was on were in Pat's optimized lineup to win BBM three. A-Chain is going to be the receiving back this season. He's going to catch 50 passes. We look at like where do the rest of the passes go beyond Jalen Waddle, whom we selected, and Tyreek Hill. A lot of them are going to go to A-Chain. He's going to be a revelation in the passing game and the second highest scoring rookie running back. That's bold. Jamison Williams comes back after a suspension. Maybe takes a game or two to, to, to shake the rust off. And then despite the worst vibes in the history of, of all off seasons shows that it doesn't really matter when you're that good and you're a top five pick and the team is going to need to play you. They need you to hit things work in favor of guys with this type of draft capital. This is one of the points I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on here. He comes out, he plays a lot and he shows the ability that he showed at Alabama, the production he showed at Alabama and has a monster second half of the season. I don't even know what that looks like necessarily. <laughs> really, it's just this guy is the, the vibes are not right on Jameson Williams. And in fact, it, he does have the ability to play to what his uh, prospect profile was just a year ago. If he's anywhere near that, you love him in, 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 at this pick. Well, Ben, you already have mostly made the bull case for 
Geno Smith, but my bold prediction based on that is that he's going to get 1,000 yards for all three of his receivers. He's going to throw for 5,000 total, 35 touchdowns. He's going to outscore Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Trevor Lawrence, the three, you know, aggressively priced sort of pass-oriented QBs early, and we're going to be very happy that we went with him over Jerry Goff in round 13. You're going to have all quarterbacks from here on out. It looks like I go to Kendra Miller. I'm going to say that, you know, he gets on the field in these first three games when Alvin Kamara suspended. It is immediately evident that he is significantly better than Jamal Williams. I think that's a key part of his upside scenario is that we get to see him while Kamara is suspended and we get to see that he's better than Jamal Williams and the team gets to see that. And then after Kamara comes back, he is the clear upside handcuff hold. He's still getting work. You know, I don't want to necessarily predict an injury, but in the bold prediction case, I mean, Kamara ends up missing a little bit of time. He's getting up there in age. Kendrick Miller down the stretch becomes the team's workhorse as the clear. He's got the three down profile as the clear guy over Jamal Williams and uh, is the third highest scoring <laughs> rookie running back in the second half of the season because Devon A. Jane's already scoring that high. Aaron Rodgers, someone who's hard to like leans into the villain role and realizes that his chance to place his name in history beside players like a Tom Brady, like a Peyton Manning knows that it's that revenge tour season that gets it done. He's going to go out there like a 2007 Tom Brady. He's going to be thinking about how Peyton Manning changed the view of himself after he went to the Denver Broncos late in his career and went out and had like a 6-7 touchdown game in week one in that Thursday nighter that pushed him up into the first round. Aaron Rodgers doesn't play in the Thursday night game, but it'd be interesting to know where he would get picked if he throws seven touchdowns in week one. I can tell you it's not going to be round 15. <clears throat> Wondell Robinson, healthy again. <laughs> we drafted a lot of injured players here, Sean, but the, the Wondell Robinson bull case is that he was he becomes the player that he looked like he was about to become right before he tore his ACL last year. In week 10, he went 13 targets, nine receptions, a hundred yards on the nose, looked ready to ascend uh and be their new number one the rest of the season, sort of in a Kadarius Tony type role after Tony was traded away. They were they were ready to go forward with Wandell Robinson in New York. Obviously, tears the ACL. The big case is that by week five, week six, he is back. He is ready. He's playing a lot, and he is their clear number one receiver. Obviously, Darren Waller are going to be heavily involved too, but Robinson is averaging seven, eight targets a game, probably lower eight, eight dot targets, but becomes sort of the next uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, if you will. We've been making the bold case or <laughs> giving you bold predictions for Sam Howell all season long. All I'm going to add to that tonight is that he goes for 600 rushing yards and eight rushing touchdowns on top of leading a dynamic commander's offense. Love that. I'm not going to do I – mean, Tyler Bass kicks a million field goals. There's my bold case for Tyler Bass. So that's our roster. We have the two defenses, Kansas City and Jacksonville, probably the, the bold case for Kansas City is they score 20 points on Thursday night, and uh, we're, we're pumped that we had the, the, the take a peek on them. But that's our roster. We're sticking to it. Um, another another build where, Sean, we, we went away from the receivers in the dead zone, and we're trying to execute 
that strategy that we've laid out for our banana gang was a, a suggestion I got. I think, you know, I know Calm and some of the, some of the listeners have, have referred to the listeners as banana boys. I had someone reference, maybe we should start calling them the banana gang. I kind of like that. I do as well. I do as well. It Again, anybody who missed, we did announce the winners of the review contest. The reviews were fantastic. I just want to say, as we kind of go through the peak of draft season here, it's been so much fun to share that with you in 2023. Really love you guys. Ben, this team has me fired up. I can't wait to see what we do. That's going to do it for a special Bold Predictions episode of Ceiling Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. I mentioned a couple of the articles that he's put out in the last couple of days. Make sure you get over there and sign up for Ceiling Signals. We're about to hit week one, week two, where Ceiling Signals is the premier article in fantasy. Also, Ceiling Signals Gold, Ceiling Lions, the betting project with Dalton Cates. We'd love to have you over at Rotobiz. We have the coupon code RV2023. That'll save you 10% at checkout. Always save as much money as you can here. Head on over to the FFPC. It sounds like there's going to be a little overlay in the Fantasy Pros contest, which gives you an even better chance to win $1 million over there with just the 350 entry so anybody who's looking to do something that is not at the two thousand dollar level like the main event that contest is there for you good luck in all your drafts this weekend again love you guys see you soon